Hello and welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast. This week we're reading Genesis chapter 3 and 4 and Moses chapter 4 and 5. This is the story of Adam and Eve when they partook of the fruit in the garden, transgressed God's laws, and were cast out of the Garden of Eden. Now you might be asking, why is all of this important? Well, if you've been to the temple at all, you know that this scene, this event in human history, is very important. So much that we watch it every single time we do a temple endowment. In April 2015 General Conference, President Holland gave a talk, and he says this about this event in history. He says, In our increasing secular society, it is as uncommon as it is unfashionable to speak of Adam and Eve, or the Garden of Eden, or of a fortunate fall into mortality. Nevertheless, the simple truth is that we cannot fully comprehend the atonement and the resurrection of Christ, and we will not adequately appreciate the unique purpose of his birth and his death, or in other words, there is no other way to truly celebrate Christmas or Easter without understanding that there was an actual Adam and Eve who fell from an actual Eden with all the consequences that fall carried with it. So in studying these events this week, I'd like to point out just a couple of things that to me were very significant. First, starting in Moses chapter 4, we have the scene of our pre-mortal existence where there's a council called And we were all there. Heavenly Father laid out his plan for each of us. In October 1993, Elder Oaks gave a talk and said, Our understanding of life begins with a council in heaven. There, the spirit children of God were taught his eternal plan for their destiny. We had progressed as far as we could without a physical body and an experience in mortality. To realize the fullness of joy... We had to prove our willingness to keep the commandments of God in a circumstance where we had no memory of what preceded our mortal birth. In the course of mortality, we would become subject to death, and we would be soiled by sin. To reclaim us from death and sin, our Heavenly Father's plan provided us a Savior, whose atonement would redeem all from death and pay the price necessary for all to be cleansed from sin on the conditions he prescribed. So after this plan was presented and the adversary came forward with his plan, it says in verse 3 that because Satan rebelled against me and sought to destroy the agency of men, which I the Lord had given him, and also I should give him mine own power by the power of my only begotten, I caused that he, meaning Satan, should be cast down. And he became Satan, even the devil, the father of all lies, to deceive and to blind men, and to lead them captive at his will, even as many as would not hearken unto my voice. Now this is important because when he was cast down, that means he was cast down to earth. And why is he here? To destroy the plan of God. Because his plan was not accepted, He desires that all of us are miserable like himself. And so what does he do? Back to President Oak's talk, he said, All of the myriads of mortals who have been born on this earth chose the Father's plan and fought for it. Many of us also made covenants with the Father concerning what we should do in mortality. In ways that have not been revealed, 
our actions in the spirit world influences us in mortality. Although Satan and his followers have lost their opportunity to have a physical body, they are permitted to use their spirit powers to try to frustrate God's plan. This provides the opposition necessary to test how mortals will use their freedom to choose. Satan's most strenuous opposition is directed at whatever is most important to the Father's plan. Satan seeks to discredit the Savior and divine authority, to nullify the effects of the atonement, to counterfeit revelation, to lead people away from the truth, to contradict individual accountability, to confuse gender, to undermine marriage, and to discourage childbearing, especially by parents who will raise children in righteousness. Now you might be asking, well, how does he do that? How does he get people not to choose marriage or childbearing? Well, there's a perfect example here in this story. In fact, if we go to chapter 5 in Moses, we find something very interesting. In verse 2, it says, And Adam knew his wife, and she bare unto him sons and daughters, and they began to multiply and replenish the earth. Pretty straightforward. Adam and Eve are doing what they're supposed to do. Even their children at first, like in verse 42, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And so this term, a man knowing his wife, is kind of obvious what that means. Well, here is when the adversary steps in. Cain and Abel have their differences. Cain ends up killing his brother. And here in verse 51, we see that there are secret combinations, things that start to happen in darkness, where the adversary is really trying to destroy Heavenly Father's plan. Here in verse 51, it says, And from the days of Cain, there was a secret combination, and their works were in the dark, and they knew Every man his brother. Verse 53, And among the daughters of men these things were not spoken, because that Lemek had spoken the secret unto his wives, and they rebelled against him, and declared these things abroad, and had not compassion. So from the days of Cain, we see homosexuality being introduced among the mortals on earth. This is part of the adversary's plan, to destroy the families of God. Now, my perspective on this is, I guess, a little bit different than most. Some people will argue that they were born into this earth in a different body by mistake, that that's just who they are. I have a dear friend that lives in my ward who is now inactive and has asked to have their names removed from the church simply because of the church's view on homosexuality. Maybe allow me to express my view on this for just a minute. I believe in the pre-mortal existence, we all agreed to have challenges and trials. This life wasn't meant to be just an easy journey from beginning to end, and then return back to our Heavenly Father and live in paradise forever. No, there would be things that we would have to experience. Sorrows, challenges, trials, all those things that would allow us in those moments to choose God, to choose faith, to choose love. Well, according to this plan, in my opinion, 
we all agreed to have certain challenges that we would have to overcome in this life. For some, the addiction of alcohol. For others, the challenge of drugs. An addiction to pornography. And even same-gender attraction. I believe that each of us agreed to face these challenges, knowing full well that they could be the one thing that destroys us. Now here is my opinion on this. Every single person on this earth is faced with at least one major challenge in their life, whether it be drugs, alcohol, pornography, or same-gender attraction, and a host of other things that it could possibly be. Though we each face at least one of these challenges, our job is to not allow them to become us, but rather to conquer the effects of sin and to turn our life over to the Savior, Jesus Christ. And some may spend a lifetime trying. And it's important that we help and support each other in all of our challenges, that we don't judge each other because your challenge might be different from mine. But the challenge you have is not your identity. It's not who you are. It is your obstacle to overcome. So though you may have an addiction to alcohol, your challenge would be to avoid that. Though you may have an addiction to pornography, your challenge is to conquer that desire. Though you may have same-gender attractions, your challenge is to not act upon it and not let it become you, but rather to turn it over to Christ, to let him help you with this challenge, and to follow his eternal plan for happiness. That's why we're here. That's the path we all chose at least once, was to be on his eternal plan for happiness. And what does that mean? Well, President Oaks outlines that again in his talk. He says, Maleness and femaleness, marriage, and the bearing and nurturing of children are all essential to the great plan of happiness. Modern revelation makes it clear that what we call gender was part of our existence prior to our birth. God declared that he created male and female. Elder James E. Talmadge explains The distinction between male and female is no condition peculiar to a relative brief period of mortal life. It was an essential characteristic of our pre-mortal condition. To the first men and women on earth, the Lord said, Be fruitful and multiply. This commandment was first in the sequence and first in importance. It was essential to God's spirit children to have a mortal birth and to have an opportunity to progress towards eternal life. Consequently, all things related to procreation are prime targets for the adversary's effect to thwart the plan of God. When we understand the plan of salvation, we also understand the purpose and effects of the commandments God has given his children. He teaches us correct principles and invites us to govern ourselves. We do this by the choices we make in mortality. We live in a day where there are many political, legal, and social pressures for changes that confuse gender and homogenize the difference between men and women. Our eternal perspective sets up against challenges that alter those separating duties and privileges of men and women that are essential to accomplish the great plan of happiness. 
We do not oppose all changes in the treatment of men and women, since some changes in laws or customs simply correct old wrongs that were never grounded in eternal principles. The power to create mortal life is the most exalted power God has given his children. Its use was mandated by the first commandment, but another important commandment was given to forbid its misuse. The emphasis we place on the law of chastity is explained by our understanding of the purpose of our procreative powers in the accomplishment of God's plan. The expression of our procreative powers is pleasing to God, but he has commanded us that this is to be confined within the relationship of marriage. President Spencer W. Kimball taught, In the context of lawful marriage, the intimacy of sexual relations is right and divinely approved. There is nothing unholy or degrading about sexuality in itself. For by that means, men and women join in a process of creation and in an expression of love. Outside the bounds of marriage, all uses of the procreative power are to one degree or another a sinful, degrading, and perversion of the most divine attribute of men and women. The Book of Mormon teaches that unchastity is the most abominable above all sins, save it be the shedding of innocent blood or denying the Holy Ghost. In our own day, the First Presidency has declared the doctrine of this church that sexual sin, the illicit sexual relationships of men and women, stand in its enormity next to murder. Some who do not know the plan of salvation behave like promiscuous animals. But Latter-day Saints, especially those who are under sacred covenants, have no such latitude. We are solely responsible to God for the destruction or misuse of the creative powers he has placed within us. So it's very clear that this topic is of great importance today as it was ever before. As things that are wrong are being accepted in our society as right, and things that are right are now being labeled as wrong to the general population, we find ourselves in a great challenge. We must continue to do those things that promote the plan of happiness, not the destruction and misery that the adversary is spewing across the earth. And though some may be tangled in a web of lies, here is one truth that stands above all of this. Moses chapter 5 verse 10. And in that day Adam blessed God and was filled and began to prophesy concerning the families of the earth, saying, Blessed be the name of God, for because of my transgression, my eyes are opened. And in this life, I shall have joy. And again, in the flesh, I shall see God. This is the purpose of the great plan of happiness, that our eyes may be opened, that we shall have joy in this life, and in the flesh, we shall see God. By making correct choices, by conquering our demons, by choosing His eternal plan of happiness, we shall have those three blessings on this earth. Our eyes will be opened, we will have joy, and we shall see God in the flesh. Of this great truth I earnestly testify, in the sacred name of our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.